think you're what they say you are Ricky Lee, superstar Do you think you're what they say you are It's showtime with Ricky Lee. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me here on 101.5 Huntley Community Radio. If you're ever outside the broadcast area, remember, you can always stream the station in real time at HuntleyRadio.com. And most importantly, you can always listen to current and past episodes of It's Showtime with Ricky Lee as one of your favorite podcasts. Now, you never know the hidden talents that people possess. James Patrick Heatherly is the author of a brilliant new Sherlock Holmes novel, Sherlock Holmes, The Cornet Conspiracy. We will be talking extensively about that new release book today, but what's interesting is that I know Jim from outside his writing career. Our friendship actually sprouted from appearing together in the play Mornings at Seven. So, I knew Jim was a talented actor, and uh, having seen him in musicals, I knew he was also a talented singer. However, I had no idea about his writing talents until suddenly I saw he had a new Sherlock Holmes book coming out, and I knew instantly that I had to have Jim on It's Showtime with Ricky Lee to discuss this other side of his talents. So... Set in 1888, Sherlock Holmes' The Cornet Conspiracy includes all the classic elements of the most successful novel about the world's most famous detective. There's murder, coded messages, and mistaken identity in a case that even Scotland Yard knows only the great Sherlock Holmes and his trusted companion, Dr. John Watson, can solve. So joining me today to discuss this phenomenal new book is James Patrick Heatherly, my friend Jim. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Ricky Lee. How are you doing? I am doing great, and I am excited to talk about this book. I, We have talked on and off for years about lots of things, and I never knew that you were an author. I didn't know that, that that was in your wheel well. So this like came out of left field for me. So was this your foray, your first foray into a, uh, writing a novel? It, yeah, it, it was. Um, actually, I had written in the past, but it was all technical stuff um, that dealt with um, my old career as a telecommunications um, consultant. Um, I, and I wrote... A, for a long time, about 10 years um, for Faulkner Technical Reports. But when the pandemic hit and I couldn't get any acting work, um, I kind of resorted to something that my mom always hoped that I was going to do, and that was to write a book. Um, and I've always been a fan uh, since I was 11 years old um, of Sherlock Holmes. So I... Uh, I thought, well, I'll take a whack at that. You know, so I started to write um, a short story um, and, and really just to deal with Holmes 
kind of finding out who Moriarty really is, because I, even as an 11 year old boy, I always had a problem with Moriarty uh, because out of the 60 stories that Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about um, Sherlock Holmes, Moriarty only appears once. Really? Yeah. He just, he shows up one time and he's mentioned four or five other times um, after he brings him back. Um, But, you know, in, in the final problem, which is the, the, the story, which uh, Sherlock Holmes meets, uh, finally meets Moriarty. He tells his trusted friend Watson that this guy is the Napoleon of crime. And even at 11, I'm going, how did he arrive at that conclusion? Mm-hmm. He, he admits that he had never met him. And so it always bothered me. So my idea was to write a backstory and, and kind of explain how he arrived at that. Well, the short story kind of grew a life of its own. And um, it went from being a short story to a 545-page novel. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, do you have to have special permission to write a Sherlock Holmes book? I mean, it's a, I, I know the Sherlock Holmes character, in some areas it's very protected, and in other areas it's public domain. And so where does it fall in terms of this book? Well, Holmes, um, the character of Sherlock Holmes is now in the public domain. Um, but, uh, having, um, having had to deal with the Arthur Conan Doyle estate now, uh, for the better part of a year, um, I have learned that they are still very, very protective of the character itself and, um, anything that, that still can sit inside any story that can still sit inside their protected copyright, um, and they get, you know, they, they get very touchy if you, if you start to mess with, with the character. Um, so, you know, I was struggling to, after I finished the book, which took quite a long time to write, um, I tried to find a literary agent and with no success with that, I decided just on a flyer to, to, um, send the synopsis of the book to the Arthur Conan Doyle estate and ask them what they thought of it. Okay. And, and they kind of fell in love with the idea of Holmes trying to work his way through all of these various machinations um, and um, figure out who was behind this sinister organization. And so they kind of got behind it and, uh, helped me find a publisher. And uh, and then because of the length of the book uh, and the fact that I'm a debut author, uh, <laughs> they wanted me to kind of break it apart. So it's now a four-part series. Um, and book one, uh, which you mentioned, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes, The Coronet Conspiracy, um, is book one. And... Um, it's it's now available. I, I'll plug myself. It's available on Amazon. Um, and it. Uh, I just found out today that 
the Kindle version is already available. You can you can buy the Kindle version. The official release of the book is October 23rd. So if you go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, you can only pre-order it. If you go direct to the publisher, you can get a copy uh, now and you don't have to wait. Um, and uh, so they, you know, I don't even know how I got off. <laughs> uh, but uh, the other thing that I found out today was book two, um, thanks to some great reviews that we've gotten even before the book is released, um, book two is going, going to be pushed forward. Uh, and its release date is now December 10th of this year. So there'll be two books out before the end of the year. Um, and book two is called Sherlock Holmes, The French Conundrum. Excellent. Now, do they stand on their own, or do you have to read all four to get this, the whole story? I mean, is it like a, a television series where each episode stands alone, or is it one where you have to, the, the story only works if you read all four? Well, one of the things that the uh, the publisher wanted me to do was, after I broke the, the novel apart, um because the original name of the novel was Sinister House, um, which is now the name of the series. Um, they had me title each one of them and then had me kind of close end uh, each book so that if you only read book one, you do have an ending. Um, but it, every every book um, says to be continued uh, except for book four, which wraps the whole thing up and, and actually finishes um, tying it directly into um, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Final Problem. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Now, is there going to be an audio book as well? Oh, yes. Um, there will be. Uh, actually, I just I also just found out today that uh, they're already uh, they've already landed a narrator and uh He's hard at work on, on book one, and that should be available um, on October 23rd when the book um, is uh, released to the public. So there, there will be um, a hardcover, a paperback, an audio version, and a Kindle version. That is so exciting. Now, I have never had an audio book uh, done. Uh, uh, what goes into selecting the the narrator? I mean, I know you're this fabulous actor, so it's I'm thinking, well, maybe he did it himself. And then you just said, you know, you they've just selected somebody. What goes into selecting the the narrator for an audiobook? Well, you know, um, if I would have had my druthers, uh, Patrick Stewart would have been my narrator. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I'll, I'll mention that to when he's over for coffee tonight. <laughs> well, please tell him I, I I'm still interested. Okay. Um, because we're looking for narrators for the next three. Um, but yeah, he didn't seem to be available. And if he was, I probably couldn't afford him anyway. So um, actually, the publisher uh, had somebody that they trusted um, that had done quite a number of other Sherlock Holmes books. So I left it to their good judgment to, to pick a narrator that would work, um, especially because there are so many different dialects um, that are in uh, the first book. Um, there's proper British, um, you know, RP British. Uh, there is um, Cockney. There's Scouse, which is basically Liverpudlian 
um, Brit. Uh, there's French and there's German. <laughs> so there's a lot going on in this book. Um, and so I had to get somebody that that really um, knew their stuff. And so I trusted the, the publisher to do that. You're listening to It's Showtime with Ricky Lee. I'm your host, Ricky Lee Travolta. I appreciate you listening here on 101.5 Huntley Community Radio. I also remind you that you can listen to all your current and past episodes via the It's Showtime with Ricky Lee podcast. Today, my guest is James Patrick Heatherly, the author of what promises to be a very hot book, Sherlock Holmes, The Coronet Conspiracy, which is part of a four-part series. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other top se- sellers. I can tell you firsthand that it is a page-turner, and you are not going to want to put it down, so be sure to pick up your copy of James Patrick Heatherly's Sherlock Holmes, The Coronet Conspiracy, as soon as you can. Now, Jim, you mentioned that you chose Sherlock Holmes to as your first foray into fiction novels— because you have a background, you grew up reading them. You love them. What was it like taking something that you admired as a consumer and then turning it into you being a, a producer? Well, there were some challenges, I, I, I will admit. Um, I really wanted to stay within the Doyle canon, and I wanted... Um, I didn't want to sound like a lot of modern novels, a very rapid fire narrative. Um, I wanted to stick to the Doyle um, narrative style, um, which took a few attempts to to kind of settle into because um, it was always my in, intention to stay true to the characters at, as much as possible. Um, I also wanted to make sure that the details were correct. So um, this book took about 600 hours of research. um, And um, basically, I wanted to make sure that the locations and street names and establishments were all spot on with regard to 19th century London, Paris and Berlin, um, you know, in the time frame 1888 to 1890, which is the span of the of the the four books. and also, there there's more than 25 characters um, that existed in real life. Um, and so um, when I was writing the book, I had to make sure that um, not only was I, I getting those characters correct as far as their physical description and, and their attitudes uh, towards um, politics and towards you know, um, Victorian society. Um, but there are specific dates that occur in, in the book. So I had to make sure that those people were available for those, <laughs> dates, you know, so that I wasn't just making stuff up and somebody would go, you know, because I will tell you the Sherlock Holmes society and, and the Baker street irregulars, those people are very protective of Sherlock Holmes. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, somebody wasn't going to jump up and go, no, 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 you can't have that because that person wasn't, Queen Victoria wasn't, you know, on the Isle of Wight on October 10th, you know, so I was, you know, 
it took a lot of research to to get it right. Um, but it it truly was a labor of love because I I mean I I have I've always been fascinated by mystery stories, um, and Holmes always satisfied in that regard. You know, and some of them were crazy simple to follow, but others were very very complex, and you really had to you know follow every word. Now you mentioned that you have a couple character or, or several characters that are real people that really existed in history. Um, you mentioned that using the character of Sherlock Holmes requires some balancing of legalities. What about using real people? Is there anything that you had to juggle there in order to write about people who really existed? Well, because this is a work of fiction, um, you know, if I have Sherlock Holmes talking to somebody that really existed in the real world, that conversation never really happened. Um, so I don't know that. Uh, and because all of these people are dead now, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to be knocking on my door going, hey, you you spoke ill of me. Um, you know, so I, I don't think there was, you know, and, and the publisher certainly didn't have a problem with it, uh, nor did my my editor um, in the way that we presented these folks. Um, if I if I quoted them, I quoted them accurately. Um, you know, there's one big uh, speech that um, a character uh, provides um, in Paris, and I made sure that I was spot on to get that exactly right uh, so that, you know, anybody that knew anything about um, Maurice Berez uh, would say, okay, that's, that's really what he would have said. So I, I was pretty careful with, and that's why it took so long to research this book, you know, because I was really trying to stay true to every single character in the book. Now, I often say that in, the, the sign of a successful writer, if, if you look at their process, is the first draft is writing what you want to say. And then you have to go back and change it into what people want to read. Did you go through that, or was your, was it the story you set out to write the story that you ended up with? Well, ultimately, it ended up being the story that I, I wanted to write, um, but it took a long time getting there because I, I have to say that I started to write a short story and it ended up being a novel. And when it's all said and done, you know, originally it was a 545 page novel. And when I broke it into parts, when it's published, it's going to be over 1200 pages in the four books. Wow. So um, to say that, you know, everything that's there now is exactly what was in my head to start with would be a lie. Um, because I... I experienced something very strange, and I'm sure um, I'm not the the first writer to ever experience this, but I would start writing conversations, whether it was between Sherlock Holmes and Watson or Sherlock Holmes and, and Frederick Aberline or whoever. Um, and suddenly I was simply taking dictation and I was watching the the conversation happen in my head and I was just writing down what the two people were talking to each other about 
And it's the weirdest experience I've ever had in my life because it was very much an out-of-body experience. I was in the room with them, watching them talk to each other, and I just wrote everything down, um, which is really kind of weird. But (laughs) it was interesting, I will say that. Now, did you have a set schedule for writing where you would start at a certain time every day and work for a certain period? Or did you work, Did you write when the, the mood struck you? How, what was your process like? Well, because it was during the pandemic and there wasn't really much going on and people weren't going anywhere, um, I found that I was writing every day about the same time. I would get up in the morning, have breakfast, sit down for a while and kind of noodle about what I wanted to write and then sit uh, until, um, you know, and and write until I got so tired I couldn't see straight anymore. And then I'd quit and take a breather. And um, sometimes I'd come back to it later in the day and sometimes I'd wait till the next day. But there was kind of a schedule Um, when I wrote it. It was you know, sit down and do it, you know, write it every day and, and kind of, I kind of forced myself to, to be in that, in that mode. Um, the editing happened after I would get a chapter done, I would go back and rewrite the, uh, or reread the entire chapter and I'd make corrections. And I was very fortunate because I had somebody here and a, a friend that, you know, <laughs> And um, she was, because of the pandemic, she had to work away from home. And so she was using my dining room as her workspace. (laughs) And she became my initial editor. And so I would finish a chapter and I'd edit it and then give it to her. And she'd edit it at night and then give it back to me. So there was a process. Um, And then when we finally got the whole book done, and I broke it into parts. That book, each each book went to their their editor. And I have to say, I was crazy fortunate um, to get their top notch editor, um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Ryan, um, uh, for whom I will be forever grateful, um, having edited my stuff because he he himself is a Sherlock Holmes author, and um, really protects the the canon um you know holds it dear to his heart and so he was he held me you know my my feet to the fire um so that i made sure that i was very true to um the the conan doyle canon and what did you learn in this process that writing is hard (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, writing stories is really hard. <laughs> well, do you have uh, intentions to continue down this path, or was this a I did it, I accomplished it, now I'm off to my next adventure? Where, where, where does Sherlock Holmes novel writing fall in your future? Oh, I have. Um, I've already started two more Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, one is um, uh, based on. Um, a character that I created um, for the first book um, for the Coronet Conspiracy. Uh, she is somebody that that um, Holmes asks to help him 
and Watson kind of takes exception to the fact that that he's called on her because he remembers what happened a few years prior um, when Holmes had 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 to come and save her life. And um, so the next book is going to be her backstory. It's going to be Watson narrating what happened three years prior to book one. Um, So that one is uh, called uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, The Hargreaves Incident. And then I have uh, another book that I'm working on uh, that deals with Irene Adler coming back, um, which is another Doyle uh, character. Um, And then I I have a spinoff that that I've been working on. Um, There are two characters um, that appear in in the four books uh, that I um, have gotten finished so far. they're named uh, Orman Sacker and um, uh, Algernon Quartermain, and they decide to start their own um, detective agency. Detective agency, and uh, so the that book is uh, their first case, their first big case. There is so much to look forward to. You have been listening to It's Showtime with Ricky Lee on 101.5 Huntley Community Radio and on the web as one of your favorite podcasts. I appreciate you sharing your time with us here today. My guest has been James Patrick Heatherly, the exquisitely talented writer of the hot new novel Sherlock Holmes, The Coronet Conspiracy. Jim, I thank you so much for your time here today. I think everyone is going to really love this book. Where can people get the book again? Well, it's available on Amazon, um, and it's on um, Barnes and Noble. Um, those are all. Uh, if you get the hard copy or the paperback, those are all um, pre-orders. Uh, the official release date is October twenty-third, twenty twenty-three. Kindle is currently available, so you can get it. Or if you want the hard co- cover book now, you can go to mxpublishing.com. Uh, and you can buy it there. Um, and uh, I hope lots of people um, get a hold of this book one way or another and enjoy reading a new Sherlock Holmes adventure. I tell you, it's a great book. And Jim, we'll see you in the spotlight.